Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, welcome to Drafting the Circuits, my name is Frank Santorowski, I'll be your host for the next hour or more, as we discuss everything from this past weekend and preview next week's weekend of racing. Before we go forward, let me introduce you to the panel we have assembled tonight. With me in the studio, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, how are you Gray? I'm doing great, hope everyone else is. Excellent, excellent. Seth Eggert is in the house with us, NASCAR correspondent for Motorsports Tribune. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good. Good to have you here, Seth. Uh, Gray's uh, workmate over there, Richard Childress Racing, Richard Uden. Richard's with us tonight. Richard, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Hope everybody else is too. Excellent, excellent. And uh, IndyCar.com writer and managing editor at Motorsports Tribune, Joey, Tri- Joey Barnes, once again with us. Joey, good to have you here this evening. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. All right. So we had had a big weekend of racing. Um, Indy cars were in Gateway. Um, Formula One was a spa. The um, the Cup guys had the weekend off. Uh, we did see Xfinity cars out there at Road America. So uh, let's start out with Spa. Spa, one of the uh, longest tracks in Formula One, one of the most historic tracks out there. Uh, very fast track. A huge crowd on hand there. Um, Lewis Hamilton takes the win um, over the course of the weekend. He also matched Michael Schumacher uh, for career polls. Uh, now, Joey, I know you paid close attention to that race. So, what uh, what are what are some of your thoughts coming here out of Spa? Um, I mean, the race itself was a little different than what we're accustomed to seeing, but um, intensity would probably be the name of the name to use for everything because we had. You know, although Hamilton was holding off Vettel, um, and it was very, very close in a lot of different ways, um, just trying to get within DRS range and and the tire strategy and things like that. Um, We saw good three-wide passing, actually, after the top of Eau Rouge. Um, We saw it early on in the race with Alonzo and Hulkenberg, and uh, I believe it was a Force India. And then, um, you know, later on in the race, we actually saw it for third to settle the final spot of the podium when Ricardo went around both Kimi Raikkonen and Valtteri Bottas, who were fighting amongst themselves and 
coming through there. Daniel Ricardo just took it, and the Red Bull has shown to have some strong pace um, now that the updates have come in, and so he ended up holding on to third for that. Uh, Raikkonen in fourth, and Boda settled for fifth, uh, which is a pretty hurtful position considering where the teammate finished, and certainly Mercedes wasn't happy to lose points in the, in the manufacturer's battle, constructor's battle. But um, there are some interesting moments. Uh, you got to look at Force India, the teammates, uh, Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon collide once again. Um, and this time Ocon um, was, it looked like maybe should have waited to make a move. At the same time, looked like he was pinched. It was prior to Eau Rouge when they get through the opening turn there. And um, and it ended up being Perez just taking off Ocon's front wing. So uh, just squeezing in there. So there's a lot of racetrack to the left. I I personally look at this thing and um, kind of wonder what's going on at Force India because afterwards, Ocon's taking to social media saying that he tried to kill me, and Perez goes and sends out a response through Instagram. So uh, it, it's kind of a Mickey Mouse deal that's a little weird. Uh, I look at this thing from the forefront, Richard. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but this has in my opinion, Perez looking scared all over it. Like, he always outran Hulkenberg, so he never really had to worry, because Hulkenberg never was able to get the podiums. Perez was. But he's dealing with a guy in Ocon that essentially, you know, Perez went to McLaren and screwed his opportunity up. And Ocon, it looks like he's destined for a seat at Mercedes or a premier team. And this looks like a transition, if you will, or a seesaw. And now Perez is having to deal with somebody who's really on his level or even better than really talent-wise and uh, can match him on pace. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think, I, think Perez is, Perez, I think Perez has got to take a lot of credit for bouncing back from the McLaren fiasco. I think you know he was put in there too young, too soon, and was found to be completely out of his depth. However, he's come back, got into a smaller team, a team that may be is a little bit more personable. They're a little bit more relaxed than the um, sort of clinical environment that McLaren, you'd find at McLaren. And I think he's, he's certainly improved and he's, he's come back and he's had some very, very strong uh, drives in that, uh, that force India car. But, you know, you've seen um, Ocon come in and, you know, you saw that at the back end of last year, Ocon, when he was up against, uh, their line, um, you know, he, he gave him a good run for his money. He pushed him. And, and you know, we talked about Verline before on this show. He, he may be sort of, he's burnt his bridges a little bit. And you, you saw Ocon come in and, and, and really sort of demonstrate how it should be done. And he's carried that over at Force India. And, you know, almost you get the impression that Perez doesn't like it when he's got somebody pushing him and there's somebody, um, you know, who can sort of... Um, give as good as he gets because he's been very, very impressive, um, you know, Ocon. And I think, uh, you know, as you, as you rightly said, I think this is showing Perez up a little bit. Um, and he's, he's probably not happy about it. And he's making these rash moves, a little bit of desperation here and there. Um, and it's certainly, uh, uh, you know, the, the um, team, I don't know, I don't think team principal is the right name, but chief officer in some capacity, Otmar, uh, I can't pronounce his surname, so I'm not going to try. Um, he was, uh, I've actually worked with him before at Honda, and he's a, he's a master negotiator and a master sort of man manager, and I think he's got his, uh, um, he, he's got his uh, work out with these two guys. 
I, I got so heated and as of late that now there's kind of it's been put out there that should there be more of these issues force india's said that we're not afraid to sit one of you guys and so you know it's it's coming to that where a race band is really on the line for that and you know it it's certainly interesting i mean they hold fourth place in the constructors they finished fourth the last few years and you could say that perez is a big reason that that's happened in retrospect looking at this season if they don't finish fourth in the constructors you could argue that that these two drivers yeah. and their their issues with each other are going to keep them from that and that's certainly going to hurt force india when you look at the payout bonuses that are given and if williams is able to sneak up in there even a haas um, yeah but anyway oh without uh, any hesitation i mean I, th- I think that um and you've got to give cr- credit to the teams like williams and and, and force india if you did a if almost you went down like a, a handicap system and you looked at um, you know dollars per point, you know for the last few years certainly Williams and Force India would have been uh, been up there in terms of, of that sort of metric. But um, as you say, they've got to be careful. Um, it's a very very competitive industry, and you you can't go away. You can't go around throwing away points like that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just a couple of other things um, from the weekend. Um, We'll get into the engines in a second, but I think what's interesting of note is for Ferrari, we're talking about silly season and, and what's up in the air and this and that. Ferrari have actually, Kimi Raikkonen, we talked about it last week, re-signed, re-upped uh, with Ferrari, and they went ahead on uh, Saturday and locked up Vettel for another three years. So through the 2020 season, Vettel is going to be a Ferrari driver, which is interesting considering how dynamic the driver market's supposed to be in 2019. But, um, I, you know, I think the timing's interesting because we're always used to seeing Ferrari announce their driver lineup at Monza. They announced it a week prior at Spa. So, curious of the timing there, if there was something to be played there. Uh, Nicky Lauda was kind of rambling about how, you know, yeah, we, we had talks with Vettel and then Toto's got to come back and play damage control. So, we've never talked about it. So, um <laughs> Make that what you will. But um, Ferrari securing their driver lineup, really the first team to, to outright say what their lineup is going to be for next season. Good for them. Um, moving on to the engines. Um, so <clears throat> Max Verstappen, his engine, you know, he's, he's got his beautiful orange helmet, got the fans because he is a Dutchman, but he spent a lot of his, his life in Belgium. Um, so Spa is very near and dear to his heart. And so he's, you know, the, the orange crowd is out in full force to support him. His best finish at Spa's eighth place prior to Sunday. Goes out there, was running pretty solidly. Um, and then the engine expires and he has to park it uh, at the top of a Rouge. And later he comes on and says that he'd rather have engines blow up than shut down. Um, bringing us to Alonzo on Saturday. He takes Puon flat out, and apparently the Honda engine mapping, uh, power unit control, what what have you, uh, didn't understand how that happened. So it essentially shut down. Um, <laughs> that was brilliant, wasn't it? The car <laughs> shut down because he was going too fast. <laughs> yeah, literally. If, if there was ever more evidence you needed for a driver so much faster than the, the car, there you go. Um I think that that it certainly puts something out there that maybe F1 needs to be 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Maybe, in my opinion, maybe a little bit more primitive. I, I love the advanced technology that we get. I personally think that a lot of that should be left to, you know, whack the 24-hour Le Mans, things like that. Uh, you know, it's important to have technology in racing. It's important to continue to advance. But when you've got a situation where your car shuts down because you're too fast through a corner and it doesn't recognize it because we have to have the RPMs at their peak at this corner and so we have to map it out, then you might as well let these engineers – drive these things like RC cars, uh, what's the point of having the driver in the seat? Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, to, to, a, to a large extent, you know, Formula One has be, becoming less of a driver's game, you know, and more of, you know, whichever trained monkey you put in the best car. You know, I don't, don't want to say that, uh, you know, that, that these guys are trained monkeys, but I, we're, we're going that direction with so many uh, controls on the cars, you know, that uh, we'll be able to just put anybody in the car. And, you know, the, the way the race ended up playing out, um, and, and, you know, I tell you this, is that if not for um, the issue in qualifying, I very much think that McLaren would have been able to put a car in Q3 uh, because the laps that Van Dorn and Alonso were laying down were sensational in qualifying. It was something else to watch. But, um, you know, that ended up happening, so they didn't get into Q3. Um, because of that shutdown um, for Alonzo. He was actually pushed and bumped out at the last two minutes, minute and a half, uh, Mark. But uh, moving on, we get to the race. Alonzo, brilliant start. I don't say a lot of nice things about Alonzo very often, but it's a brilliant start. Got up to sixth. Um, and then, obviously, the pace of the other cars, the engine, et cetera, started really become a hindrance to, to Alonzo and, and started to go backwards. And we started getting some interesting radio calls, which were really entertaining. But um, eventually it got to him asking if there was going to be rain. And, you know, no, we don't have any rain, uh, said his, his team members. But uh, next thing we know, he, he calls for an engine issue. He parks it. Uh, Honda says that they didn't find any issue with the engine. So it's starting to look like ball rain all over again, or he's just – maybe fed up and quit because the car was going to finish out of the points and it looked like a test session anyway at this point. So, um, Richard, did you get your final thoughts on this? Is like, A, do you think maybe we need to be a little bit more primitive in F1 on these engines? I know you've got the background there from Formula 1, the engine mapping, et cetera, being maybe too software-based. And do you feel like Alonso has a point if he was to just park it just for the sake of being done fed up? Because clearly he looks like he's pretty well fed up. Uh, on the Alonso point, 
it's a difficult one. You know, this is a guy that um, is undoubtedly one of the most talented drivers of his generation. And you're seeing that at times. There's glimpses. You go back to Silverstone in qualifying, uh, first round of qualifying, where he, he sort of, I mean, I know it was on a drying track and all that sort of, but the, the skill levels that he showed there were, were, were through the roof. Um, you know, so it's bound to be frustration. You know, there's bound to be frustration there. But to the same extent, this guy is paid very handsomely to do a job. And second most you, in F one, if I yeah, remember correctly. You so. know, so suck it up. You know, <laughs> sorry. Uh, you know, he he signed up to that. You know, he signed on to the concept that you know when he left Ferrari, he signed up to to drive a McLaren and a Honda engine that I wouldn't say he knew that it was going to be teething trouble, but there always is, especially with engines and systems that are as complex as we're dealing with now. You, know, you, you see the troubles that Renault have had, and they've been an established manufacturer for a long, long time now. Uh, and Ferrari weren't exactly up there with Mercedes when it when it first came through these new regulations. So I think he's, what's the phrase? You know, you make your bed, you lay in it, don't you? Um, so I, I see both sides of it, and I, I really do wish that, I would love to see the Honda become more competitive. Because I think Alonso and a McLaren and a competitive Honda engine could really, really go up there. And I think Alonso is one of those one of the very few drivers that could go up against Vettel and Hamilton and these guys and and go wheel to wheel with them. And I think everybody else in Formula One wants to see that. They want to see Alonso in a car which is capable of challenging that. But he's also got to put the effort in as well. And at times, you know, just parking a car for no reason, that's not going to please the guys over in Japan that sign the checks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, no, it's not at all. So on the uh, on the side of the cars being too complicated, again, you know, coming from an engineering side of things, I totally disagree. I think this should be as complicated as possible. However, I I, I want to quote uh, Ross Braun here on some of the things that he's been saying. Does Formula One need to spend money? And I'm not talking, you know, tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm talking. 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year on things that the fans cannot see. You know, who, who can tell you know, what, what's going on inside a lot of these engine systems these days? Does it make the, the racing any better? Is it any different? Obviously, it's better for the likes of Mercedes and because they're benefiting from it. And I think they've... Um, you know, they pulled a bit of a trick here, which I think goes against the um, the concept of the ruling on the uh, oil burning strategy. The, for Monza, uh, engines are only allowed to, or they're reducing the amount of oil that can be burnt per 100 kilometers. Um, so Mercedes introduced a new engine for uh, Belgium, and they've sort of circumvented that rule, which is, again, not really in the you know, spirit of the rules, should we say. Um, so that's not going to go down very well. But, uh, yeah, it's a very, very, you know, y- y- is it worth spending $10 million to do something that nobody can really see? Um, I, d- I don't think so. I think they've got to be a little bit careful. But it, it's it's where do you draw the line? It gets yeah. a very, very difficult thing. Yeah, I, I think and, that... and, and the, the, I'm sorry, yeah. You know, the, the one thing you got to say is, is this technology that we're developing here? Is this is this something that we'll see in a road car one day? 
You know, well, let me give you an you example. Know, maybe maybe so, it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. You know, if it's something that is, then it's probably worth the price, whether somebody can see it or not. If it if it makes you know road cars in the future, uh, you know, more reliable or more efficient or safer. Um, if it's just something just to circumvent a rule, and we're throwing millions of dollars at it, and, and nobody knows what's underneath the thing, then maybe that should be rethought. That's and that's that's kind so, of my take on that. So let me give you two 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 very brief examples. The oil burning situation that you see that this rule is designed to clamp down on. A a typical road car will burn around about one liter of oil for every hundred thousand kilometers. That's the ballpark figure. These guys are burning. I mean, at the start of the year, there was talk of them burning two liters of oil for every hundred kilometers. Now, sorry, these engines aren't that badly designed that they burn that much oil by accident. It's an intentional... And the, the engineering systems and the calculations and the ECU mappings that go into making that work are incredibly complicated. Um, and, you know, guys like Mercedes get that right. Guys like Honda don't. Um, so, you know, they're spending um, a huge amount of, uh, of money going into there. And the point you make on... Are these technologies transferable? Well, you know, a, a bit of a third-hand story here, but when the Kerr systems first came into Formula One, um, Toyota were developing their own battery system uh, out in, in Germany where their Formula One team was based, and they actually flew in some of the battery experts from Toyota in Japan where the Prius was developed. And... You know, these engineers from Japan just burst out laughing when they saw what the Formula One team was trying to do. They were like, seriously? This is like, we were doing this sort of stuff 10, 15 years ago. So the battery technology in road cars far, far outweighs uh, what you see um, in in Formula One. for def- Now, obviously, the evolution cycle in formula one is is far faster than you'd see in a road car i mean if you go to work for a you know a ford or a chevy or a a honda road car they're dealing in five six seven even ten year roadmaps you go to a formula one team and they're working in weeks and days so there is that difference but um yeah a a lot of these technologies um the concept of the tech Knowledge being transferable is, um, yeah, a little bit suspect there. On on the last note for me on the F1 side of this is uh, when it comes to Alonso, we're learning now that his reach uh, or his abilities as far as trying to set a deal for himself, even if he is rated as one of the top three drivers in the world, is clearly not beyond what he has right now. Like we saw him move from Renault to Ferrari, from Ferrari to McLaren, or I'm sorry, from, from Renault to McLaren, now to Ferrari, and then back to McLaren. And so we've seen this, this constant, if you will, diva of sorts, uh, just with, he always wants to go where the next fastest car is. Um, and he always gets it wrong. Well, remember when he <laughs> moved from, uh, wasn't it when he first moved from Renault to McLaren, he promised to bring, bring 0.6 of a second to the car? Yeah. I think that was the number anyway. I, there was some, you know, in-joke yeah. in Formula 1 at the time. Six tenths, yeah. And, and, you know, and I'll tell you this. is like, yes, he is an absolute elite talent. But 
I'm wondering if like now the Renault team principal or chief, whatever you, he, his title is now abideable or however you pronounce it. I'm going to butcher that name, Cyril. Um, <laughs> he's, he's come out and said, you know, Hey, um, you know, yeah, we'd love to have Alonzo back, but really right now it's not, the timing just isn't right. Um, so, and maybe that's why Renault was talking to McLaren about engines because that was reported. So, you know, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Necessary void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No, you look at this, and he clearly Botus is shining at Mercedes right now. And if you're Total Wolf, why screw that up? Um, you know, why not keep a Hamilton Botus lineup? And if Hamilton wants to go and move on, well, then have fun. Mercedes would go sign Max for stopping, and Hamilton can enjoy his time in a Red Bull now. Um, I, I look at this situation though and wonder, we saw Ferrari not do very well for a little while. It was whenever the engineering started to really come down a little bit because people were kind of picking at Ferrari and taking some of their key guys there. And we saw now Ferrari, you know, go after guys from the Lotus organization before they became Renault. So James Allison comes to mind before Allison has moved on now over to, uh, to Mercedes. So I look at this and actually wonder is Fernando a guy capable of building up a program, building up a car, because the reason Mercedes is as good as they are, and I don't think it gets credited enough, is how much Michael Schumacher had to do with that, how much mm-hmm. he influenced it during his time back in this sport when he came back from retirement. Everything that he he started to build up, because Ross Brown was over there, let's not forget, uh, for a little while. And Nico Rosberg was right there with them. It was an all-German lineup, and they were starting to really build on things. So when these rule changes happened, they were ready because Schumacher was really at the cutting edge of focusing on that. And I think that, that can't get overstated enough. Is And we see this with Vettel right now with Ferrari, how much that program has really improved. So is, is Fernando capable of maybe helping develop a chassis? Absolutely. But I think in terms of what you can give to Honda, and maybe there's some politics being played there with what Honda is willing to tell, as we learned in a few shows not too many months ago with what Richard was saying. You know, hey, uh, sometimes they're not so quick to give off information, and, and it could it can rub a shop the wrong way. Um, I, I wonder myself if it just – if Fernando isn't that type of guy and teams are fed up with him, then you know what? Come run. I don't care if it's a one-year sabbatical. Come run IndyCar until you get a car that's really on, on par with your level with what you believe it to be. Um, you know, I mean, that, that would be my plea to Fernando is, is clearly he's racing some of the best drives of his life in, in F1 right now, and it's for 10th place or 9th place if he's lucky. And He's not the difference maker 
in everything right now because he's being held back from an engine. You know, the Honda engines in IndyCar are pretty damn reliable. So, uh, you know, outside of the one he experienced it, yeah. it I was going to say, other, than, other but, than that one. <laughs> I figured you guys were about to, to jump on that one. But, um, you know, there's something to be said for the level of tracks here and for the fact that we've got, you know, of course it's a totally different different thing to say, you know, Max Chilton enjoys this championship. Alexander Rossi does enjoy this championship, and he's proved to be highly competitive in it. I didn't ever thought he got a fair shake in Europe altogether in an F1 opportunity, and now he's got a fair shake in IndyCar, and we're seeing him make the most of it. I would really love to see, you know, the world didn't get the best Rubens Barrichello in IndyCar, obviously, but I think the world can get a very good Fernando Alonso if, if he were to try his hand in it for a year, and I think there would be a pleasant surprise. So, Absolutely. I'm trying to yeah. transition this for you, Frank. Yeah. Yeah, there you so, go. Uh, there you go. So Formula One next weekend will be at Monza, um, which will which will begin a, a pretty fantastic Labor Day weekend, uh, all things considered. Where you know, Formula One's at Monza, the IndyCars will be at Watkins Glen, and then that evening, uh, you know, weather permitting, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series will run the Southern 500 at Darlington. That's three of the most iconic racetracks in the world running on the same day with no overlap. Uh, you know, what else can you ask for uh, right there? So, uh, and uh, by the way, you know, I did write an article about that, previewing all three of those races. You can find that on draftingthecircuits.com or on our Facebook page. So, uh, blatant promotion there. But um, just to, to segue over into IndyCar. So, first year event, um at the, the Gateway Motorsports Park, uh, uh, not really a first-year event. We raced back there several years ago, but uh, with the uh, uh, new owner, um, uh, what's his name, Francois, Curtis Francois, uh, has done a really nice job with the track. Uh, Bomarito was brought in as a title sponsor. They are um, they own a conglomerate of automobile dealerships all through the St. Louis area, and they went all out to promote this race. Um, they had, uh, you know, all their car dealerships running IndyCar commercials and spots 24-7 on big screens in all their places. They bought a bunch of television advertising, billboard advertising. They were, they were out there um, on, on the baseball field giving free tickets away uh, to the IndyCar race. And they ended up with a crowd of about, reported at right around about 40,000, which uh, if you compare that to how many folks were at Texas or were at Phoenix, or um, or we're even at Pocono. Um, that's a pretty good oval crowd for IndyCar. You've got to call that a success. Um, everyone was really pleased uh, with the way things went down. Um, these guys threw some money into the facility, total repave uh, um, on their own dime. Um, in the race, we saw Joseph Newgarden take his third win in four races. Um, you know, just uh, extending his championship lead there. Um, some of the racing was a little bland. Um, you know, that short oval package isn't quite um, what we need it to be yet. We can look forward to next year on that. But uh, I'll tell you there, towards the end there, um, New Garden's pass on Simon Pagano for the, for, the, for the lead and ultimately for the win, that was well worth the price of admission. Now, Christopher DeHardy, you've just joined us. Um, and thanks for popping on in, Chris. So uh, I know you paid good attention to the Gateway Race. What were your thoughts? I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I it was a home run. the The only thing that I think I think that didn't go right perfectly was the fact that I think we should have had a red flag at the start when uh, Power Sato and Carpenter had their incident. Other than that, I had no complaints. 
the crowd was awesome, and especially when you consider the fact that the Cardinals were on television at the time. Uh, you had that boxing match or something like that happening later on. Yeah, um, that crazy. I don't know what that, all that was about. Yeah, you know, two guys getting paid, you know, a lot of money for, you know, some work. And then, quite frankly, you had a championship-winning drive by Newgarden that night that really shows everybody why Roger Penske hired him. Penske hired him to win. And I think Joseph is showing everybody that this right here, this these last four races are why Sarah Fisher put me in her car back in 2012 and why Roger Penske put me in his car this year. Yeah, there's no doubt that Newgarden is the future of the sport. I mean, I, I'm, I knew he would have a pretty good season, but I'm, I'm thoroughly blown away with the, the last four weeks. Um, you know, I've been saying all along, I think Joseph will lose a close one this year and learn from the experience. And, and he still may. He still may. You know, um, Dixon's not that far behind. There's double points at Sonoma. You know, all it would take to have, uh, you know, get caught out on, ye- on a yellow at the Glen and get buried in the back of the field for Dixon to jump right back into thing. But uh, I think right now, Joseph has got to be your favorite. Because look at his results on the other permanent road courses, you know. He won at Mid-Ohio, <laughs> second at Road America, won at Alabama. Those are tracks that are similar to the Glen and Sonoma. So, um, you know, um, you know, I've, I'm going to have to change my tune on saying he's going to lose it this year. Joey Barnes, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I'll tell you this. Um, there, I think there is a little bit of trouble over there in uh, in Paradise at Penske. I mean, just a little. Making, the, making that move, which I don't know if that was actually said. He made the move on his teammate heading into turn one. Uh, they rubbed. It uh, looked like Simon didn't really give much of the inside lane. Joseph didn't care and, and drove it in there. Um and you know what? I, I get both ends of it. You know, Simon has every reason in the world to be pretty pissed off. At the same token, Joseph is is trying to to get that that win. The pace was there, so I was kind of shocked that he elected to make the move then because there was still a fair amount of laps. There's a few more laps left in the race, so his timing of it was interesting. But uh, oh, as far as how aggressive I, the pass was, I think that you know as the the car strung out, it gets harder to pass. I think Joseph saw that spot and knew that might not be another chance to uh, to get alongside him. That's my well, thought. And then Joseph's comment was, uh, you know, about, you know, he thinks Simon will be pissed. He says, well, I was racing. Simon knows that, you know. So I, I think that's about as clear cut as you can put it. But I don't know. That's just yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, the Chevy package showed throughout the race that it couldn't follow you know, the Penske's got strung out pretty decently, but the Hondas could always stay together. Granted, it was for three, four, five, or five, six, and seven spots, but uh, when Penske was one, two, three. But, um, you know, overall, you know, that was kind of an interesting dynamic. I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, I, you know, it's interesting to see how the season's gone because it was Pagano who was in Joseph's shoes last year, dominating and winning a lot of races. And now Pagano has just been crazy good, crazy consistent, but not great. And this was his chance to shine again and get another win. He doesn't have many this year. If I recall, his only win is Phoenix. That's the only one, um, yes. So there's probably some frustration there because his last win was four months ago. Um, so I gather that one, but, um, and you can't, there's a, how do I rambling here? Cause there's a lot of stuff going on in my head on this thought. 
I've been told by a lot of people in the paddock that Elio Keshinev is the glue that holds that team together because of all the dynamic personalities that exist. You know, the competitiveness, that they're arguably the four best drivers in the paddock, uh, maybe with the one exception being Scott Dixon over Ganassi that you could argue. But um, you look at this thing from top to bottom, and if the rumors are true that Elio's on his way out, I can't think that if he really is the glue, because there's been multiple people that have told me that, if he is that glue, how this can be sustainable beyond this season uh, in a healthy way without Roger having to step in and really be like, okay, look, and give some choice words on what they need to do to fix their stuff. But, um, you know, from top to bottom, this race was a lot of fun. I love the crowd. I loved how much effort, because it's an independent track, an independent track gambled on themselves, and they won, in my opinion, because you look at this showing and it's like, okay, well, well, why wouldn't, if you're NASCAR, continue to support it with the truck race? Maybe even consider the Xfinity series over there. You know, maybe even, a, heaven forbid, if we give a cup date to an independent track and try to actually bring the overall health of racing back up, maybe they take a look at doing something like that. But, Joey, I, that makes sense. Of course that won't happen. Yeah, you know. But, um, hmm. you know, you look at these, this thing from top to bottom, and it was fun to see the competitiveness throughout the entire field because it wasn't just Penske's that were, were – I mean, obviously, the Penske's are going to be tough to beat at every track. I mean, it's Penske. But when you look at the competitiveness that we saw to Dixon uh, to get to get his po- to get another podium, uh, I think he ended up getting Pagano there and nipped him for second. So, um, you know, he continued to do well. Connor Daly shined with potentially a career-saving finish and uh, getting a top five as best of the finish. Um, of note, AJ Foyt Racing, with the exception of Iowa, has put at least one car in uh, in the top ten at every oval this season. So, for as much as everybody wants to bash that program for not being as elite as it should be, maybe, and maybe as frustrated as people are at AJ Foyt Racing for not being a consistent top five, top ten team at every track, they've shown up on the ovals, and I think that's certainly interesting is that Connor Daly's best finishes this year have come at Texas with the seventh place, and then again here at uh, Gateway with the fifth. So Right, and, um, and Connor Daly's a young man who cut his racing teeth in Europe on road courses, so you know it, it, that just speaks even more to kind of what they've done with the oval program here at Foyt. Yeah, I, I think once again we've got questions about the Chip Ganassi racing situation because for the second week in a row, or second race in a row, we saw, you know, a car a few laps down, and and they're like, park it. And this this time, instead of it being Chilton, it was Canon. And there's was, a lot of talk. It was both. Yeah, uh, well, parts of both a gateway. Yeah, well, and you look at the situation, and it's like, I know that you, there's a lot of talk that obviously now it's it's announced that Tony's not going to be back. Chilton, you know, he's saying good riddance on the radio. I can't wait for next year. So you look at the situation, and behind Scott Dixon, we're probably going to have, if they keep four cars, we could have three new drivers as Scott Dixon's teammates next year because it looks like Max Chilton, Tony Kanaan, and potentially Charlie Kimball, from what I understand, are open for business. Uh, so Yeah, Charlie will end up somewhere. He's still got, he's still got the Novo Nordisk money. Um, you know, he might be a, a good fit for that second Schmidt-Peterson car. He might, he might be a good fit at Andretti. You know, but uh, Charlie's got uh, Charlie's got some backing, uh, so I think Charlie would be okay. I, Tony, I can't see that fitting. <laughs> you, you can't see Charlie ending up I, at Schmidt or Andretti. 
Uh, not at Andretti. I, I just he doesn't strike. Uh, this is gonna sound bad because like I look at certain, and I don't know if, if y'all do this either. Uh, but you know, you look at the the big picture and you're like, you know, that guy just he's not. You know, we look at some drivers like, man, that guy right there looks like he's a Penske type of driver. Like just the 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 look and the running and the, all that stuff. And you get a feel for those guys in the paddock of like where they kind of fit. Like, you know. I don't see Max Chilton being a Penske driver. Could he be somebody that goes to to, to help develop the new Carlin team? Absolutely. Um, is is he fit at Chip Ganassi Racing? Absolutely. Does he look like somebody that's going to go run Ray Hall? No. You know, you, because of the personalities that are already there in existence, and just combined with with how they do things. It's like to me, the Charlie to Andretti thing, just it's not really a, a fit. I don't think Schmidt makes some sense. Yeah. For I sure. mean, well, I mean, it's not anything that's been reported. It's just, it's just me speculating that Charlie's going to, Charlie's going to end up somewhere because he has, because he is self-funded, you know, he is self-funded. And beyond that, he's, he's pretty well experienced. Uh, you know, he's uh, got a little bit of a bad rap um, for um, being a bit of a dangerous driver. He, he does, I mean, uh, he does have one brilliant win to his credit. I mean, I still, that 2013 run at mid Ohio was about as perfect a drive as you can get. It's uh, kind of, st- <laughs> okay. I just read what Chris read the chat and broke me up. So, <laughs> I, well, I'll Chris, Chris, you're a terrible person, but anyway, so, but, I, I t- but let's, I want to get back to the, um, to the, this whole thing. About- so it's something I don't know, Frank, I, I want to, I, I got to <laughs> put a wrinkle in your, your armor there. There's one thing I'll say is Saavedra has got a lot of money backing him, yes. and he's been in a part-time situation for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if Charlie Kimball finds himself in a similar set shot. Just because you have money, it doesn't guarantee you a drive if, if you're going to continue to wreck race cars. I mean, the owners are going to stop writing the check to get new cars in there. Sorry, but uh, it just... Point taken. Just, Point taken, yeah. But but as far as Saavedra's concerned, I think think that uh, my, my personal feeling is Savage's been pretty solid in his uh, part-time role uh, the last couple times he's been called into service so uh, and he still does have that AFS money with Gary Peterson so perhaps we'll see Savage full-time next year so perhaps may, maybe even in a Ganassi car since all those seats are up for grabs yeah well, I mean what was what was your biggest thing to take away like how this shaped the championship though I mean because clearly Joseph extended his points lead but for me it's Elio uh, he had he had literally a four and a half second lead we saw him come to pit road stall it he comes out and we we saw the emotion at the end of the race and how upset he was and clearly if he wins this race he's potentially right there next to Dixon P2 in the championship and only a handful of points out takes points away from Joseph. So there's not such the big lead that there is right now of 30 something points. Um, so to me, I think, yeah, Will Power didn't do himself any favors with, with the wreck. Um, kind of a weird deal there at the early stage. We can get into that, but, but to me, I think that the one that really hurt himself or that's really kicking himself is a better way to put it would be Elio because coming up at Watkins Glen, coming up at Sonoma, good tracks for him, but not great. So I believe um, Elio's won on both those courses. Um, but Joseph, Joseph has been rock solid on, on the road courses this year. Um, you know, I think Elio makes his own luck sometimes. Um, I, I hate the fact that, that it's coming down to the wire and it's not as close as he was hoping it would be. And I think he blew a golden opportunity um, here at Gateway. You know, I, I think he um, 
I think he uh, blew an opportunity at Pocono, you know? So, um, it is what it is. Now, I'd love to see Elio win one championship before he leaves the series. I'd love to not see him not leave the series, but uh, that's increasingly what I'm hearing is that uh, he'll be over there with the sports car program with Montoya. So, uh, if Elio walks away from the series without having won a championship, he's still got uh, nothing to uh, hang his head about. You know, three Indy 500 wins. Um, I believe he's um, 20, 28, 29 wins. Um, well, one, of the, one of the most he, popular guys in the, in, the, in the series. So He uh, he actually broke uh, into the 6,000 laps lead club, which was A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti, Michael Andretti. At Gateway, he broke into that elite club. Uh, he's one of only four drivers, so that is fantastic. Yeah, so but I would love to see Elliot win this thing. You know, again, Joseph has a number of years ahead of him. Joseph will probably, you know, ten years from now, we'll, we'll be talking about Joseph as you know a, a four-time champion, perhaps, perhaps. You know, if everything continues to go his way, um, you know, I, I think if you look back at uh, two thousand three, two thousand four, talking about Scott Dixon. I don't think we ever would have thought that uh, Dixon's career would have reached the height that it has now. But uh, Dixon, you know, again, he's on the cusp of perhaps a fifth world championship, which is something that uh, hadn't been done since uh, the USAC days. I mean, it would be, I mean, that's something. I mean, when you really look at the landscape of things, and, and this is something I've been meaning to do is, is, you know, I, obviously, I don't get the time with with Mario or AJ like anybody would want, just for the sake of the stories. But I would love to get their take on on where Scott Dixon really fits in the grand scheme of things, where he would have fit in their generation when they raced. You know, because the things that we're seeing, Will Power and, and Scott Dixon, in my opinion, when you really start to look at the number of poles, the number of wins, how often they're up front. It almost is very symbolic of AJ and Mario because AJ and Mario, did they race against each other for the win a few times? Absolutely. But more often than not, it was kind of a situation like like Scott Dixon and like Will Power where, yeah, we see them occasionally finish next to each other, but it's not as often as you would think uh, because there's always an incident happening to one when the other one is up front. And so it, to me, not to say that they're – both on that level, even though Scott's got the records to show that he is on that level. I, you know, we all look at AJ and Mario um, and their legends in all of motorsports. But speaking of just open wheel, USAC, CART, IndyCar, etc., all that group together, I really look at what Will Power and Scott Dixon do for this generation of race car drivers. And it really does, when you start to look at the style of racing, when you start to look at how they race, and the results themselves, it really encapsulates what Foyt and Andretti did back in their day, in my opinion. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I really, I want to get into some of this, a couple of other silly season things, because then we want, I want to move over to NASCAR because we want to preview Darlington, and, and we were having a great discussion off-air before we started, and I want to bring that back in. But uh, I do want to address some of these um, silly season rumors that have been reported by sources other than Motorsports Tribune. Um, so so Racer Magazine went ahead and dropped dropped the story that uh, Takuma Sato is headed to Ray Hall Racing to stay in the Honda. 
Um, be a second car for Bobby as uh, Michael will be going to Chevrolet. Uh, the next day, Racer drops the bombshell that Michael is staying with Honda and keeping Rossi. <laughs> and uh, and then I believe it's motorsports.com, David Malsher, uh, reports that Rossi has no idea what Racer is talking about. So so I, the truth lies somewhere in the middle here. Now, now Joey, you spend a lot of time uh, in the IndyCar paddock. Chris, you're right there in Indianapolis talking to team members all the time. What's your general feel about uh, um, it, how much truth is in in any of this? I'll let you take that one, Chris. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Uh, the bus uh, feels nice. Um, I spoke with one of the team members uh, at Mid-Ohio, and they told me that they wouldn't have bet money on Andretti leaving Honda. And in my opinion, they didn't have any reason to leave Honda because you would be losing a couple of drivers that were key to your program, and it would cause some other ramifications that weren't going to be so friendly to your team, in my opinion. Um, I still I don't think Sato's actually confirmed anything for next year, um, but it'll be interesting to see where he eventually does wind up if he does leave Andretti. Although, in my opinion, I don't see a reason for him to leave Andretti because, I mean, didn't he just win the 8500 for them? Oh, yeah, that's right, he did. That's right, he did, yes, yes. I mean, I certainly think the Sato situation is interesting because the the talk was the fact that he's just he doesn't know what Michael's next play is, and we're getting really down to crunch time in his opinion, where he's got to tell his sponsor. You know, he's he's got a lot of support from Honda. He's been a Honda driver his whole career. Um, you know, he's got to tell them. You know what what's going on because you know obviously he can't be back by honda you can't be somebody that's on a chevy team clearly so if it's a little late in the running and he wants clear vision for 2018 and peace of mind and it makes a lot of sense and honestly it's a good fit if ray hall is in fact the destination he goes i think that's a great fit so um you know i look at this whole situation though you know I don't see. I know Rossi said in the motorsport.com piece with Mulsher that you know he has talked to other Honda teams. You know, you look at Schmidt. Apparently, Hinchcliffe wants him bad. That implies that Hinch is going to stay at Schmidt. He looked very happy over there. Um, you know, obviously Ganassi has an interesting situation. I personally wouldn't be one to go over there if I'm going to be asked to park my car every other race. But that's just my opinion. So I, I look at this situation, and honestly, I love the fit with Andretti, you know, they're the ones that with, with Brian Herta being involved and really spearheading a lot of that have come together to bring Herta up or bring Rossi up. We've seen the improvement in pace this year has been crazy. And even he said in that article, you know, Hey, you know, we weren't, we're not where we want to be, but if we continue to make gains like we did from year one to year two now, and we can make the same progression. I mean, who's to say that we're not going to end up being right alongside the Penske's in the near future, essentially a paraphrasing a lot of that, but you look at this situation, we're coming up on a universal package in 2018. The Honda motor is known to be the most powerful. The thing that's hurting them right now is the aerodynamic pieces. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of the torque ratios on the short ovals, of course, but when you look at the aerodynamic pieces, it's really what's holding them back on the short ovals and on some of the road courses. We're seeing that level get matched a little bit because of the engine power. That being said, there's not going to be monumental changes in the engine department from this time until 2018 hits 
So it would be smart, I think, to stay with a Honda package if you have it, because if you can go in there with a universal aero kit and you've got the stronger motor, then clearly you've got the edge on the competition. And we've seen Andretti before, and Chris, you know what I'm talking about. They had Chevy for a little while and looked really strong with Chevy. I mean, you know, we saw a lot of stout stout runs there with, with Marco and with Ryan Hunter Ray for a few seasons there. And then they got bit by fuel mileage and said, well, screw this. And they left Chevy, and we saw Chevy with the aero kit and everything else become the package you want to have. So we've seen Andretti get bit by up and leaving when everything looked to be ripe for the taking. I don't think he's going to make that same mistake twice. I agree. I think uh, I think you'll see Michael in a Honda, and I think with the common, you know, common aero kit package next year, um, that's going to really kind of up their game. So because they've been strong in the super speedways, but at the same time, can't match pace with Penske on some of these other tracks. So, but uh, the whole Sato thing is interesting, and it'd be kind of neat to see how it plays out. And I, I tell you what, uh, Mr. Krista Hardy right there got some stuff on on Saturday night, and that was, you know, we just alluded to Saavedra, talking about Charlie Kimball's situation and right. and Saavedra being backed by AFS, and there was a lot of talk about Saavedra wanting to go to sports cars potentially and take the AFS money there. And Chris talked to him, and, uh, you know, I mean, Chris can talk more about this, but essentially Saavedra is saying, you know what, you know, all these all these opportunities, and let's be honest, Saavedra had some Charlie Kimball syndrome, I'm going to call it, um, where he couldn't get out of his own way at certain places, ended up, you know, knocking into people or, or knocking himself out of the race and just couldn't put a complete opportunity together. But now we've seen him in these partial roles really put together some solid finishes, and it looks like he's calmed down. It looks like he's really started to, to round himself out completely as a race car driver. I think personally, and I used to bash him quite a bit and be and be hard on this guy, but I think Saavedra's runs of this season certainly warrant at least a look. And he's even said that, hey, you know, I thought about sports cars, but essentially, you know, this reignited my passion. I'd love to come IndyCar racing full time. And I hope he does. He's definitely matured, you know. From remember, this is the guy who ran a season of IndyCar and then uh, stepped back and ran another season of lights because he wasn't ready for the first go round, you know. So, um, but uh, we'll just see how that plays out. But again, he's got a sponsorship package to bring to the table. So, Chris, what do you have on this? Well, he definitely seemed refreshed after Gateway. Um, after qualifying, he was. He told me, you know, hey, I got a, I got my passion back for the sport because I felt like I was going to go sports car racing. Then he comes and qualifies. You know, he was first out in qualifying, so the track was still a little bit warm, which is why one of the reasons why he qualified last. But you know, his crew stayed till midnight to you know throw everything in the kitchen sink at the car, and then you know he comes up, he finishes eleven. I think he gained the most positions of anybody else on track. Um, Really, he did a good job. Uh, granted, there were some cars that fell out that helped him out, but you know, given that only a few cars f- did end up falling out, he had to pass some cars near the end of the race. So, overall, he did a good job. He got uh, he improved his position quite a bit, and he got all four wheels on the car, which is more than what can be said of several other drivers. Absolutely. So, with, with that being said, let's let's move on uh, to our NASCAR segment. But before we do, let's throw in some picks for Watkins Glen. Um, IndyCar is headed to Watkins Glen next, one of the uh, seminal homes of road racing in the United States. They brought the 
brought the series back to the Glen last year as a last-minute replacement for the Boston Grand Prix, and we're coming back this year. Um, Chris is telling me we should have F1 picks, too, so we'll just go around the table right now before we uh, before we move on to our NASCAR segment. I'll give everyone you get one pick for Monza and one pick for Watkins Glen, and then later we'll do our picks for NASCAR. So I'm going to start with you, Gray, because you've been so quiet tonight, so you get one Formula 1 pick and one IndyCar pick. Okay, Monza. I'm gonna go with uh, Ferrari. I think uh, I think that'll get the win. Uh, be be big for the Ferrari camp. Uh, and let's see. Uh, I like Scott Dixon at uh, at Watkins Glen. Two very good picks. Actually, I think in Italy it's illegal to pick against Ferrari at Monza. So. So you're within the law. <laughs> Richard, I heard you sigh as Gray stole your pick of Scott Dixon for Watkins Glen. So yeah. uh, I'll let you be next. Uh, Monza. I, I got a sneaking suspicion for uh, maybe Alonso. Oh, no, sorry, no. Um, I would say, well, can I have something that what you're taking tonight? <laughs> McLaren Kool-Aid, it's great. Um, let's go with... Kimmy. Okay. Again, picking a Ferrari yeah. for Monza. Nothing wrong with that. I, uh, you, you wouldn't, I mean, you know, the Ferrari coming out of uh, Spa, they, they had a pretty stout car there. And if they can uh, they can do a little bit of Monza magic uh, and uh, maybe, you know, run a little bit light, you know, maybe maybe bend the rules a little bit. I don't know. Not that that ever goes on, of course. All right. So, uh, who, do you, so who do you like for Watkins Glen? I like Scott Dixon, but too late on that one. Uh... I called you Garden last week, and I'm going to go for it again. Not a bad pick. I mean, he's been on fire. Um, Seth, you could be next. Uh, for Monza, I'll go Verstappen. And for Watkins Glen, how about Rossi? Good pick, Rossi, yeah. So, uh, uh, Chris, Joey, flip a coin. Who wants to be next? Botas, Castro Neves. All right. Joey? My picks are gone. Thanks, guys. Um, I was going to go Vettel. Love and you too, then, Joey. Uh, I was going to go Vettel and then Rossi, actually. So, um, thanks, Seth. You suck. Um, let's see. <laughs> you know, just because I was very surprised by the pace and because hopefully he can be dodged, uh, hopefully he can dodge his teammate. Because I know that Max Verstappen likes to go and hunt people on lap one, uh, I, I actually think Ricardo could win Monza. Um, just a sneaky suspicion on that one. I, I would think that he'd be able to rival the Ferraris for whatever reason. You know, maybe the long wheelbase hurts uh, a little bit in sector two for the Mercedes, and it, and it pays dividends for the Red Bull and, and the Ferrari uh, setup. But um, so Ricardo, and then. Um, Man, let's see. I picked power last week, and he wrecked on, like, lap five. Um, I tell you what, um, why not? Ryan hunter Ray. I, I think, you know, Andretti was very positive after their test there a couple weeks ago. I think it an Andretti car has a good chance. I, I originally would say Rossi, so Seth's got probably the best pick in the house. So I'll probably go with the... the uh, Hip check wonder kid from Pocono, and I'll say Hunter Ray. Okay, so did you guys all leave Lewis Hamilton for me to pick? 
I mean, last time, yeah. Last, yeah, you know. yeah, so he won. I mean, if you want to take him not I've had it. Now, uh, now uh, DeHarty picked Botus, so um, it's funny. I've got this little ESPN app, and it's, there's this little game called Streak. And all you got there, they give you all these different sporting events. You just pick. Nicky guy runs across the field. No, no, you just pick one. You just, <laughs> they, they say it could be a tennis match or a soccer match or a football game, or whatever. You just pick one, and then you wait till that game's over. If you know, then you have a win streak. So uh, the Formula One comes up on the thing and says, "Who's your pick? A. Lewis Hamilton. B. Any other driver in the field." <laughs> I picked Lewis Hamilton, and he won. So I'll pick Lewis Hamilton again. And for IndyCar. I think you guys left Simon Pagano available, did you not? There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, huh? Okay. All right. Well, I'll take I'll take Simon. Um, and, I think uh, you're you're mad to think that a Mercedes driver is going to win in Monza at this. The way how Ferrari how competitive Ferrari is this year, there's no way for, that that they're letting them walk out of there with the top spot on the podium. Well, yeah, but you guys took the Ferrari driver, so I've got to pick what's left. I mean, what am I going to? Sure, you don't want to take what the Force India p- guy. Pick, pick their test driver. They're going to hit each other on the formation lap. I'll pick Grosjean. He's got a Ferrari engine in the back. That actually wouldn't be a terrible pick to be honest. Wouldn't be a terrible pick, but I'll I'll stick with Lewis, even though much as I dislike the young man. So, but anyway. So let's let's move let's move on. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR. The Cup guys had the weekend off. The um, Xfinity guys were out at Road America. Um, I thought it was a pretty entertaining race. Richard, you thought it was a horrible race. Um, and <laughs> Seth, you were sitting in the hospital while the race was going on. So. Uh, no. Oh, that no? was a different race. You're thinking of. Uh, car so, tour of the hospital. So, Seth, you're going to have to refresh my memory because I can't remember the name of the young man who pulled off that uh, little move at the end to win the race, but he was with an underfunded team. These guys are truly balling on the Jeremy, budget. Jeremy Clements. Uh, Jeremy. He drives for a family-owned team. His father is right. the crew chief, the team owner, and the engine builder. Right. So this guy's 256 starts into his Xfinity career. Gets his first win on a little little bump and run there towards the end of the race, um, and it was just just to see, you know, like like a little guy, um, you know, take home the big prize. I thought it was uh, pretty fun, pretty amazing. I thought it was a pretty feel good uh, moment for these guys. You know, he he, he had mentioned that his uh, the car he runs is a two thousand eight car that's been updated. Yes, a two thousand eight chassis that's and- been updated to the to the modern rules so um so good for them you know and uh may i uh make two notes on this make all the notes you want because gray's uh, got gray's got some stuff to say so gray's next uh for jeremy clements uh this like you said it's his first win in 256 starts he's honestly at times lucky that he was able to make this may starts he almost lost his right hand in a freak accident in 2004 when the drive shaft of his dirt late model broke and ripped through uh, the bottom of the car. And uh, I want to say it was like three years later that he came back to NASCAR. He, in 2008 and in 2009, which this is my other note, he actually shook down, practiced, qualified the car for Kyle Busch in two separate races, one in which Kyle finished second, the other, Kyle was wrecked out while leading and had a good shot to win. And that was when Kyle was with Joe Gibbs Racing. And yet, 
Jeremy still to this day runs for his family team. Yeah, so I don't know if this this win is going to help move him to bigger and better things, but certainly, uh, you know, uh, checking the win comes not going to hurt. And it locks him into the playoffs. Yes, and, it does. Yes, it does. And he is fifth in the Xfinity Series when it comes to playoff points. He has more playoff points than half of the field for the playoffs already. And he's 18th in points. So there could be bigger and better things happening for this young man. So, I mean, for, for me, I was rooting for James Davison, who won the first stage. Um, just because uh, I, I know James, I've met him at the Indy 500 a couple times. He's, uh, you know, run some IndyCar races. Um, did a really nice job uh, leading the first stage, but, uh, you know, pit lane speed limit violation right to the back of the field after stage one. Never could recover from that at all. Never came close to coming through the field. I was looking to see if he would storm through the field, and he did not. Well, he got back up to the top ten. He was battling for the top five when him, Ross Chastain, and Xfinity Series regular, uh, Austin Sindrick, who was running the Team Penske 22, and I forget who the fourth car was, but there was some sort of chain reaction. Davidson got hooked by Chastain, went across the track into the wall, and came back into traffic. Uh, Wiped out the chances of himself, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Sindrick and... I think it also damaged Justin Allgaier's car. I forget who the fourth car involved was. <laughs> so, Seth, you just have officially called me out for taking a nap during the middle of the race. <laughs> I, I thought he got sent to the back and never got back because, you know what, I did take a little nap in the middle of the race, but uh, I had worked in the yard all morning, so so forgive me. But thank you for that update. So uh, otherwise, I thought I thought it was a pretty good run for Davison in the early in the early stage. So um, I mean, how good of a race with, do you think it really is if you fall asleep in the middle of it? Uh, you know, it's it's all relative, man. You know, if it relative to how tired you are, I've I fall asleep. I've fallen asleep on IndyCar races. You know, and and. Just you know, to rewind it and turn it back on, you know, it just depends, man. You know, I'm a I'm a busy guy, Joey. I got stuff to do. I got I got kids, got wife, family. Sometimes I just when I sit down, my couch is so comfortable that I might just doze off during a race. So, <laughs> Lazy Boy is going to sponsor the show now. There Good you job. go. Yeah, yeah. Don't judge me. So anyway, so we're heading to Darlington this weekend with the Cup Series, and Gray, this is one of your favorite races. On the calendar, I know you're um, you're packing your bags to head out there this weekend. You go every year. Uh, you always bring a great report back from the race. So, uh, uh, you know, everyone's rested after after week. There was not a single cup guy uh, out there at Road America. So we're heading into Darlington. Let's talk about Darlington a little bit. And then let's um, get back into this conversation we're having about the changing landscape of, uh, of what we're about to see in NASCAR. Yeah, uh, Darlington going back for the 68th edition of the Southern Southern 500. Uh, you know, several years ago they came out with after after they returned the Southern 500 to its traditional Labor Day uh, date, they uh, decided to come back with this uh, throwback theme, and it's been highly successful over the last three years, and it's probably been one of the better and, and obviously one of the best attended races we've had in the last three years. A lot of buzz about it every year. Uh, 
the places ticket sales are, are great uh, everybody's looking forward to it like like always and in darlington you know is a is a unique track um it's a driver's track uh built in built in 1950 and uh it's you know was designed for for cars that ran in that era and the speeds that ran in that era and it's a very very tough tough very narrow track and usually you're gonna you're gonna see a really good show uh there i've never seen a bad southern 500 and 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 fortunately for me i've 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 got to go to victory lane in in 2001 there and uh that that probably is one of the things that's uh stands out on my resume you know the southern 500 is uh you know used to be in my day was one of the most prestigious races to win and of course things have changed over the years but uh still a lot of history there uh, it's uh, every driver I think that starts that race wants to put that put that uh, Southern 500 uh, in the win column for them. So yeah, it's uh, it's a big deal to go there every every year. And to add to that, uh, this year anyway, there's only about six or seven teams that are not running uh, throwbacks: uh, the Bush Brothers, uh, Paul Menard. And if I remember correctly, uh, Carl Long had planned to run a throwback but couldn't afford the wrap, so they canceled those plans. And I want to say Gray Golding and Cole Witt are the other two that are not running throwbacks, although I haven't seen anything for Witt yet. You know, yeah, and uh, several several teams aren't running them, but I tell you what, one of the things that it does, it's really a neat uh, – it's kind of neat in the shops. Uh, you know, you run, you get used to running the same, uh, same, same liveries every week. You know what's coming. Everything's on a schedule these days. But when it comes up to come back and do something that, that reminds you of the old days, really is really neat. I think the guys in the shop enjoy it. I know, I know our guys are excited about the cars that we're going to take this weekend, the three and the 31, uh, you know, they look like the old Wrangler uh, liveries that, that Earnhardt drove back in the uh, in the late 80s. So, yeah, that, that's 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 a lot of fun to go. And then not only you, you go with the throwback, uh, you know, uh, uh, liveries on the cars, the teams go and they'll do throwback uniforms. And it's 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 really a neat deal. It's a lot of fun. It's a, and it, it, it kind of breaks up things, uh, you know, for the guys in the shop. Really something they look forward to each year now. Yeah, if you want to uh, want to play spot the difference between the uh, three and the thirty-one this weekend, good luck. Yeah, uh, I feel identical. I feel bad for the spotters. Yeah, this, if those two cars are near each other on the track, the spotters are going to have. Uh, oh yeah. But uh, not only are the teams going to have throwback uniforms, we're also going to have a little bit of a throwback uh, broadcast on NBC. Again, they're going to have Hall of Famer Ned Jarrett. Uh, 2018 Hall of Famer Ken Squire and Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett uh, uh, calling a portion of the race. Yeah, and some of the uh, some of the uh, on-air talent is going to uh, dress in 80s attire, uh, uh, 80s hairdos, and things like that. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, it is it is fun to to see that, and it's an enjoyable and and it breaks up the breaks up season is, is kind of neat because you know Darlington is all about tra- history and tradition and sports so to so to bring back some of that and and you know the fans at Citizens I know I do I you know I see some of the cars and like la- last year in particular 
to see, uh, you know, De- uh, Blaney in the Wood Brothers driving uh, a car that resembled or in, in livery of, of Pearson's 76 Mercury. And uh, then then uh, Tony Stewart uh having a Coke livery that reminded you of Bobby Allison's 71 and 72 Coke machines. I mean, those, those stir your memories when, especially, you know, I, I've been to every Southern 500 since 1970. So I've got a, I've got a pretty good string going and I, and I've saw all those cars actually race there. So it's, uh, it's neat to go back. And I think the fans, the fans really enjoy it. And I know about a third, maybe half of the field for the Xfinity Series is also going to have throwbacks. And even though they're not in Darlington, but it's the same weekend up in Canada, both Brad Keselowski Racing Trucks and John Hunter Nemechek's truck are running throwbacks as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's kind of neat to do it. I mean, I think uh, the the what the Cars series did it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that's a, that's a regional uh, series for late models for late models that run here in the, in the Virginia and in the Carolinas, they did it and it was highly successful. Uh, it, you know, and, and I think too, you know, I think it's something probably, you know, IndyCar might look at, uh, you know, one day, look at some of the liveries that, have, that, that the fans have enjoyed in that, in that series over the years too. So it's something they can do, you know, all the, you know, major league baseball, NFL do it from time to time with throwback weekends. And I think it just stirs the interest of the fans. And I was actually at that Cars Tour race covering it for a short track scene. It was a sellout. Actually, I would say it was almost beyond a sellout because they were even selling tickets to uh, basically seats where you just brought a lawn chair and parked up against one of the turns. Yeah, that was at South Boston, right? Uh, Hickory. Hickory, yeah. And, you know, and that's the way the old, uh, you know, in Hickory and South Boston and Orange County used to do that for – for all the old Bush Series races back way back in the in the eighties when all those races were standalone, you know, and you had all star fields coming in with the likes of Jack Ingram and Sam Ard and Tommy Houston and Tommy Ellis and I could go, Morgan Shepard and Harry Gant we could go on and on and on. But yeah, that that kind of that's kind of a neat thing to see when you when you when you can stir enough interest and 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 pack the stands. Anytime you know you you can get put put. Put butts in the seats. You, you, you've you've hit a home run. Now, Richard, were you going to say something? No, I'm good. Uh, so, guys, I'm, I'm sorry. I had to... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, have we had to talk about the change in the landscape? Or I'm sorry, I got I got pulled away um, into another conversation. So, um, have we talked well, a little bit about what uh, what we talked about earlier? Well, you know, we're coming off off weekend. And of course, we got the buzz going into the southern to the southern five hundred with throwbacks and all that, and people are excited about that. But we're also, you know, bearing down on the end of the regular season, and we've only got a couple of races for people to make a move to 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 secure their spot in the playoffs. Along with that, you know, we've got a silly season heating up, and all the rumors starting. And this was a a uh, pretty big week for a lot of the rumors getting cranked up in 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 our sport. Not only in IndyCar with their silly season, also NASCAR silly season is 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 full on right now. Lots of things going on, lots of rumors, and of course we've been uh, we've been you know talking amongst ourselves and 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 uh, messaging you know amongst ourselves the last several days about these. And, and of course Seth is probably 
you know, he's on the he's on the uh, front lines of that. So we'll let him talk about some of the things that that he's hearing. Well, uh, one of the things I heard. Sorry uh, for cutting you off there, Frank. But uh, one of the things I heard while I was spending time at the car store race this past weekend, I was talking to some of the drivers who are looking to move up and we were talking truck series and they, I was throwing out different teams that, you know, may just trying to get their attention. And when I said door sport racing, three separate occasions, they said, Oh, they're going IndyCar racing next year. That did not make any sense to me. But when I reached out to some people, uh, I got the following message back as far as whether or not they were moving away from the truck series to IndyCar, to Xfinity, or elsewhere. The comment I got back was, it would be wise for truck series teams to explore all avenues with the rapid decline in truck series count this season. Yeah, the truck series seem to be losing, you know, this coming on the heels of... uh... A couple of announcements. I know Keselowski is uh, uh, shutting down his truck truck team. There's a couple of other truck teams that are going to be gone from the series. So uh, elaborate on that alone. Well, essentially, uh, you have some teams leaving, some because of lack of sponsorship, lack of manufacturer support, or for in Brad's case, he says he loses a million dollars a year per truck. Uh you have GMS Racing, which expanded to uh, three trucks, and there's a rumor going around that they may be going to Toyota. They're, they've been rumored to be going up to the Cup Series. Uh, the original rumor with Chevy was if they moved up with Chevy to the Cup Series, they would get rid of their truck teams. Now, the rumor is they're moving up with Toyota, which would allow them to have the support to run the truck teams. Uh, so there's a lot of moving parts and pieces with the truck series. There's a rumor that I heard that Cunningham Motorsports had an ARCA team, which is a Ford team, that typically runs the development drivers for Team Penske and Roush Fenway moving up to the truck series, which that would make a lot of sense because of all the Ford trucks that are going to become available when Brad Keselowski Racing shuts down. Uh, so... Th- that's a little bit of supply and demand there, too. But as far as the truck series is concerned, uh, Richard and I were actually talking earlier today whether or not this was the death of the truck series or the end of the truck series. I think it's almost like Ray uh, was talking about a little bit of the changing of the guard, a little bit of a change in style of uh, organization from uh, drivers bringing the sponsorship going back to owners getting the sponsor and finding a driver. Yeah, and, and to the overall health of the series, we, we, we won't debate that. It, it, it's not good. Basically, the, the races are not on broadcast TV. They're all on, on cable, so they're not reaching, they're not reaching a, vast, a vast audience. And, and that hurts from, from far as trying to bring new sponsors and sponsorship in, into the race. Like the races are typically a lot of times are, are, are very good and very entertaining. Um, I think another thing that, that we, the experiment that we've seen with uh, elim- eliminating the number of races that the cup stars can, uh, 
can get into is is beginning to hurt them at the at the sponsorship uh, line. I think some of that is is tougher for the owners to sell the sponsorship when they when they can't put a a cup driver in them. Uh, I think we'll see a little bit more of that as we go forward next year. That that's I think that's beginning to hurt the truck series a little bit. And and, and if they continue to head down that road, I think it may uh, be something to help further decline what goes on in the truck. I believe the uh, I believe we've only got 32 trucks entered in this weekend's truck race. 33. 33. Uh, now, last uh, I saw, last count I saw was 32. A uh, one of the Canadian ter- uh, series drivers is showing up with one of uh, his oh. own trucks. Okay, so that that probably be a postmark entry, yes. if, if you want to call it that. But but basically, you'll have you know you'll have you're going to have a, sh- a short field, uh, short field there, and that's not unusual this year because we've seen short fields in all three divisions. But uh, you know, we are I think we are going to see a, a change in the way teams do business. Uh, in the next few years, I think because of the economy and the declining ratings and, and fan attendance, uh, we're going to see things change. We're in for an adjustment period in our sport. It was announced this week that uh, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports is not going to renew the lease on their shop in Mooresville. So that's going to leave them looking for a, a, a new uh, base of operations. Uh, it probably something smaller than the than the uh, place they occupy now. Uh, we're probably going to see some of that go on. You're going to see some teams maybe retract a little bit, uh, you know, in in the way they do things. Uh, you've got teams there. There's a lot of uncertainty out there right now. I mean, uh, people waiting to announce it. over at RCR. We uh, we know that uh, the 27 is without a driver. Uh, Richard has stated that uh, he plans to run. Uh, three cars again in the cup series next year, but as yet, you know, he hasn't made any, any announcements. And of course that thing could, could go on into, uh, to October, uh, waiting for, for announcements there. So um, there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of moving, moving pieces. There's a rumor now that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, Petty and, uh, RCR, uh, may join forces, uh, that they, they use the term merger. I like to say I think it's just semantics. I think more more or less that's more of an alliance type thing than than a merger. If 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 indeed it does take place, uh, do you think it could to, become a, a situation similar to what you see with uh, Wood Brothers and Penske? Yeah, probably probably somewhat. Yeah, where whereas uh, the uh, the uh, RPM car could be could essentially be be prepped and prepared. Uh, in in uh, the RCR shops with RCR personnel and run on Sundays under their RPM banner, you know, with their equipment and their their pit crew uh, could very possibly be. That's 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 also something that we, that that you hear is is possibly on the table there. Uh, and then too, you know, if you want to really get into some uh, to some really really far-reaching mo- uh, rumors. There's the rumor that of Dodge's return possibly in uh, in twenty in uh, twenty nineteen, and some of these moves could be you know if you want to look uh, look really really deep <laughs> into the rumor mill that, that some of those moves could be a precursor to to some of that down the road. But there again, that's all highly speculative. But uh, yeah, and then two talking about the the relationship between drivers and car owners. Uh, 
you know, we went through a through a period there in the the early part of the the late '90s and going into the to the to the uh, 2000s where uh, the drivers were aligning themselves with the sponsors and the driver was bringing the sponsors to the teams. Uh, and that, you know, was that kind of changed the dynamic in racing and it became more of a driver market uh, where they kind of controlled everything. I think we're seeing now with, with sponsors retracting, pulling back the days of the big uh you know, in NASCAR, the days of the big 15 and 20 million dollar a year sponsors are gone. You won't you won't see that. So with with that being said, uh, there's going to be less money to, to actually pay the drivers. So some of these contracts are going to be re, uh, renegotiated. And I think that we, we've touched on that with the Kurt Busch situation where where uh, Stuart Haas is not going to pick up his uh, his con his his option on his contract. But they left the door open to re-sign him uh, for that car uh, should they agree agree to terms. Which you know what that means. That means they're gonna probably agree to a to a you know whole contract uh, reorganization. So I think you're seeing some moves like in in the the William Byron. Uh, you know, I think I think Hendrick is changing his. Uh, uh, his business model and how he does things, and I think when it, when Jimmy Johnson's contract ends, his current contract ends, I don't think uh, uh, Hendrick will resign Jimmy Johnson, even though he has won you know six or seven championships with him. I don't think that 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 contract will will be resigned at the current rate that it is, and I think it's becoming we're changing over to a more of a back to where it used to be, you know. Uh, Back in the early days, more of an owner market where the owners will control the sponsors and will hire the drivers. Yes, I absolutely do believe that the economy and the driver salaries are directly linked to the youth movement in the sport. You know, we see all these young guys in because you hire this young guy in, and you can just give him a maybe a higher cut of the um, a higher percentage, well, percentage of the prize money and a lower base salary, and overall. Yeah. The team is doing better. You don't have to pay, you know, your twenty million dollars to have a, a Matt Kenseth or Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, name on the side of your car. Um, I think well, like that's I said, directly related. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these guys. Some of these, this top, the top talent has been making north of five and eight million dollars a year, and that's in salary. And and of course, you know that comes out of the that probably you know that comes out of the sponsor uh, deal. And these these with the sponsor money shrinking. Uh, the owners don't have that money to to pay the drivers anymore, so that's going that's going to completely reorganize the thing. And they can take on these, you know, they can they can reorganize these 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 big contracts, you know. And, and here's another thing that was brought out to me today in, in one of my discussions: Keselowski owns his truck team, and obviously Keselowski is one of the higher paid. He's one of the upper echelon higher paid drivers in the sport. And, of course, he can afford to run his own operation. He does it because he's a racer. He likes to do it, and he can afford it. But with possibly his contract being reorganized at, at Penske, which we don't know anything about, we can not spec- We can only speculate that that may have happened, that may be another reason why he's, he's, he's decided to shutter his operation because he doesn't, won't have the money to invest in that. So that's another thing to, that that could you know that leads to to contraction in the other other divisions. 
That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that, Greg, yeah. But, I mean, you know, the long and short of it is just the money coming into the sport is not what it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So, Seth, you've got a couple of uh, notes on some uh, uh, folks moving places and, and and numbers changing on cars before we go ahead and move on to Darlington Picks and, shut, and close out for the night. Well, the one actual bit of news is Hendrick is going to be changing their numbers for next year. Chase Elliott will not be driving the 24. He'll be driving the number nine, going back to his family legacy, uh, that Bill Elliott, famous for driving the number nine. And young William Byron, who essentially is going to be a lot like Jeff Gordon, in a sense, driving the number 24 with the Exalta Cutlers for about half the season. Uh. Exalta being what was DuPont. But going back to the other part, uh, there's another rumor that Levine Family Racing, the 95 car, will switch from a Childress Alliance to a Hendrick Alliance, putting Casey Kane in that car, bumping Michael McDowell out, who supposedly will end up in the number 34 front row motorsports car, leaving Landon Castle out of the line. Which, so, <laughs> that is a very long chain. That's a yeah, very that's long a- chain. Again, like I said, we're, uh, I think uh, IndyCar and NASCAR both are looking for some wholesale changes in the driver lineup next year, while uh, Formula 1 is probably looking at a, a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of their stuff is say the same. So, but uh, with that being said, let's go around the tables and make some picks for Darlington, the track that's too tough to tame. And I will give the first pick to you, Mr. Gray Warren, since you'll be there at the track representing us. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna pick somebody that has run very very well at Darlington the last couple of years, and uh, probably. Should have won two in a row, and and I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick. He hadn't. He's you know he's been consistent. He's run he's run in the top six or seven every week. Uh, hasn't been able to put a put a uh, put a win together since. Uh, but you know since since we went to Sonoma, I believe. But uh, I think uh, you know he, this is one that he's had circled on his calendar because. He has pretty much dominated the last two Southern 500s, and I think uh, he might can. Uh, put that number four in victory lane this weekend. Awesome. Yeah, Joey, I believe you expressed a little displeasure that uh, Gray took uh, Kevin Harvick. Maybe you were leaning in that direction. Maybe I'm misreading things. But, uh, Joey, I'm going to give you the next pick. Uh, this is tough. Uh, see, I, common sense tells me to go with Martin Truex Jr., but I'm not one to usually go with my uh, common sense very often, so I'm going to go ahead and say Clint Boyer. I'll take Harvick's teammate on that one. I feel like the cars, the way they run, uh, how loose these cars are to drive, I think it kind of favors somebody like Clint Boyer, who's used to hanging it out there. And Clint, who needs a win to go ahead and lock in that playoff spot with only two races remaining. Yeah. So, uh, Christopher DeHardy, you get a pick for Darlington. Uh, oh boy, this is going to be uh, interesting. Um, funny you mentioned Quinn Boyer. I actually saw a highlight clip of his last race. They actually had to colorize the film. Um, looking at who NASCAR needs to be in the chase, I don't want to say shenanigans here, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Darnhart Jr. Oh, oh, I'll 
say shenanigans, yeah. So so that that goes to you, Richard, and, and Richard, I guess you'll pick Danica based on uh, the sh- based on the shenanigans theme. <laughs> Chris is drinking uh, a different kind of Kool Aid. You know, the, the, the problem was it, it would be funny if it wasn't true, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> cool blooded. I'm gonna go with Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson, it is. Seth, you're next. Likes, uh, likes running around the top top groove, and I think that'll suit him this weekend. I think it will. I think you're absolutely right, Seth. I I actually want to see a throwback car, a true throwback car, win for a change. The first two years, Carl Edwards wasn't running a throwback anyone. Last year, Martin Truex Jr. was only running a uh, throwback to the anniversary of the company of the car that of the company that was sponsoring the car. So this year I am going to go with Chase Elliott. All right. He won that Darlington a few years ago. I think he can do it again. All right. So you've got Chase Elliott. I'm going to go ahead and take Martin Truex because y'all left him for me. So. Or true X, who won okay. the last Southern 500. So, um, guys, with the, with no further ado, we're way way over time. We're we're at hour 27. So that means we've had a uh, uh, six green white checkers and two red flags. But uh, I've enjoyed talking to each and one of you every night. I'm looking forward to next weekend with an action packed Labor Day weekend where we're at the three of the most iconic racetracks in the world. Um, Gray, thank you so much. Seth, Christopher, Richard, Joey. Pleasure, as always, having you guys in the program. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. This is Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. We'll talk to you next week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.